If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. This is officially the last week that I'm going to be able to say this uh, because by the time this airs, we recorded it far in advance. It's actually going to be my wedding week. So on next week's episode, I'm going to be able to introduce myself as Daphne Gomez. So in this really special episode, I interview Zia Hassan. Zia's an educator, a life coach, a tech consultant, one of my personal friends. He's a systems enthusiast. And in this conversation, we focus on how to handle difficult conversations about finances and specifically about career changes with our loved ones. Hello, Zia. How are you doing? Hey, Daphne. I'm good. How are you doing? I am really excited to have you on just because I love chatting with you and we're friends and I feel like I always learn so much anytime I have you on the podcast. Uh, For anyone who hasn't heard from you before, who hasn't checked out your last episode with me, do you mind introducing yourself to the Teacher Career Coach podcast? I would love to. Uh, So for those of you who didn't hear the last episode, my name is Zia Hassan, and I do a variety of things, Um, but I am an educator, I am a consultant, and I'm also a coach. And uh, all three of those tend to intersect occasionally, Um, but uh, being a coach has been what I've been focusing on most most recently, Um, and uh, I know we're going to talk more about that, but those are the three things that I do. (laughs) Yeah, so Zia and I work together as educational consultants, but he's always been someone I go to for more advice, and so I wanted Zia to come on and talk to the audience today specifically about how to talk to your significant other about making a career change. I have so many audience members who reach out all the time asking how to even start that conversation or how to get the significant other on board. And Zia, this is going to be a very special episode for me to do, especially with you as my friend. As we're airing this, this is coming out two days before Jonathan and I get married. Two days? Wow. That really snuck up, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're not getting married in two days right now. But when this airs on November 11th, that was the surprise that I made you a very special guest for. 
I get to be the episode that launches the week of your wedding. That's, yeah. And it's about relationships. I, I mean, did it on purpose. Too good to be true. That's fantastic. So the reason why Zia is on here today is we're going to talk about having difficult conversations with your significant other, getting them on board, and all the different things that can happen during a career change um, with relationships. I wanted to kind of start off and talk about something that Jonathan and I are reading a book. It's called Eight Dates by John Gottman. And he says that arguments about finances are the single best predictor of divorce. And it doesn't mean that, you know, couples shouldn't have talks about changing careers or difficult conversations about finances, but it just means that we have to start to create strategies to talk about work and finances. And that's really what I wanted to build the framework of this entire episode on. And Zia is the best person that I could bring on for this. So I'm so excited to talk to you about it. What advice would you have for teachers when their significant others are starting to feel that work, just teaching in general, is getting in the way of their relationship. That's really the first time that teaching really starts to build kind of a, a gap between couples. Well, for those of you who are listening, tell me if this story rings a bell or resonates at all. But when I taught in the classroom, and I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade for a number of years here in D.C., this was during a time of a lot of weddings in my life. And for those of you who teach, many of you know that the weekend and and holidays are the times where we spend actually doing a lot of our planning. We're actually catching up on a lot of the things that administratively we have to do because during the day we're actually in front of students, so we can't do those things. And so there were a lot of these weddings that came up. Now, none of these were like my best friends or anything like that. A lot of them were people that I'm friends with because my wife knows them. My wife is friends with them. But still, they're people that were important to me. And I had to miss a lot of weddings in order to just keep afloat, in order to just just do my job. And I couldn't even miss one weekend. Uh, you know, I, I had to be in front of a computer. I had to be in my apartment actually working because it was a very precious time to plan and to think. So I think the the thing that I take from that is that 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 became a huge issue in my relationship that like these are really important life events that you are now missing. And it's not as if I wanted to miss these things. I really actually still regret not going and not being present at these events. But I realized that there's this emotional, mental, physical toll that the work was taking on me. Um, and so, you know, things like physically, when it was time for dinner and I we would decide what are we going to eat, we'd have that conversation. I couldn't make another decision. I was so physically and mentally exhausted and had been making decisions all day that I would just turn it on my my wife, who's, who's my partner. Um, and you know, it's it's almost like you're not emotionally absent from your relationship, but you are emotionally depleted. And that that is a bit, it seems to your partner sometimes, or at least it seemed to mine, that I was emotionally absent, that my mind was elsewhere. But in reality, I was spending all that emotional energy during the day. And that also mentally it places a burden on your partner to then step in and make decisions where you might have had a, a conversation before. And now it's it's the, that conversation is harder to have because you are mentally and emotionally depleted. So 
in terms of advice, you know, we talked last time about this idea of core values, and it's time to revisit that idea. Um, so those of you who listened to this before, we talked about the the core values in the context of deciding what kind of work you want to do and what sorts of values your job represents. But now I want you to think about it slightly differently. The thing that's important here is not to come at it from the angle of what is our core values as a couple, um, because many people think of themselves as two people in the same ship in a relationship, right? But I want to challenge you to think of it as you have your own ship and your partner has their own ship and you are sailing in the same direction. So both of you are in charge of your own ships. Both of you have an engine, an anchor, and different things that you have to consider as you go through your day-to-day -day life. So once you know what your core values are, what is important to each of you, and that takes a little bit of processing and honestly, a little bit of coaching. It's what I do with my clients. We really dive deep into what is important to them and break apart words that had one meaning one minute and now mean something completely different to them. And so once you understand the core values in your personal life and your partner understands their core values, now you can actually put them alongside each other. You can actually start to compare them and you can say, which of these dials, if you think of each of the values as a dial that you can turn up, like almost on like an amplifier or a radio, which of these dials are low? in our relationship which of these dials need to be turned up which of these do we want to turn up together and it's a starting place to figure out where do we want to go rather than you come home at the end of the day and you're always tired i feel like you don't listen to me i feel like you know your job is just taking this huge toll on you you're missing these events now you're coming at it from the angle of what is important to both of us that is currently not being honored. I think rephrasing that really helps put it in perspective because one thing that I know that significant others struggle with is how teaching is is not like other careers and the way that it's, you know, kind of a, our identity where we get so obsessed with making sure we're doing all of the right things as teachers, as educators, because it's such a high stakes profession to us that even though we on paper maybe say we dislike our career, we don't feel like we have the option to pull back and do less because it the stakes are so high. You know, a child's education is at is at stake if I don't do this thing, but making it very clear of what is not being met in my relationship. And is that I am not present from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And that's our family time. And I'm just not mentally or physically present. Well, is creating that new assignment tomorrow. That's gonna, you know, it's an extension activity. It's not, it's not regular work. I just wanted to create this thing. Putting that next to, is that worth taking that time away from my significant other? And you you do have to start, start to balance because some days you're going to have to pull back from one or the other. And I love starting to have those conversations. What would you say for teachers who just don't feel like they can stop doing those things and they just don't feel like they have the time for their significant others or their family members right now. I think you have to make a decision. It's all about posture. And 
many people and I find many teachers, they value integrity in their jobs. And for teachers, that really means going the extra mile, right? If we've, we've all seen those posts on social media where they show uh, a photo of the teacher's classroom uh, that's just government funded and it's just you know a row of desks and then the one that is funded by the teacher and it looks like a beautiful classroom, the one that you would want your child to actually go to. But then you think about that, the fact that that teacher had to put their own money and time and energy into setting up that classroom. So that is really important to a lot of teachers. And I don't want to downplay that um, by saying that, you know, we, we need to, to change our posture. The problem is this. If you look at that value and if you are spending a lot of your time making those extension activities and doing the extra mile and doing all those extra things for children that are or, or students that are taking up your time, that means that that dial, that core value is dialed all the way up to 11. Great. Right? You're honoring that value with, with, with all you've got. But there are other dials, and those dials can't be turned up to 11 because that one's already jacked up all the way. Some of those dials, for a lot of people, that's family time and friend time. Would A lot of teachers would say, mine is down at one or two. And maybe one of your values is being creative freely without attachment to a particular job that you do. And that's turned down because you no longer have the time. Maybe one of your core values is your physical health, your nutrition, your fitness. And that's turned down. I know it was for me. I gained like 30 pounds as a teacher because that was that was turned down. So I can certainly see someone saying, you know, that is something that's really important, making sure that I'm giving it my all, making sure I'm giving my students the best experience possible. But then you have to accept that these other dials are not going to get turned up because you don't have the energy. So the posture shift is, which of these dials do I want to start turning up even a little bit more? Maybe it's not all the way to an 11, but if I can turn it up to a four or five, how will that change and enhance my life? And that question, when you start asking it, leads you to start changing your behavior in ways that maybe before weren't available. I, yeah, I love seeing things from just small changes because especially our brain by nature has that like fight or flight syndrome of any sort of change. If you told me, you know, you're going to go from not working out at all to running five miles a day, my brain's going to say, absolutely not. That's impossible. And so saying, you're not going to answer emails after 4 p.m. You are not going to do lesson grading on the weekends. That's going to signal that fight or flight, even though we don't want to do it anymore. But it's going to say, that's a change. That sounds scary. I don't want to do it. But starting to scale it back in small changes is something that probably could help. I do want to focus the majority on this majority of this conversation on how to have that really tricky conversation with a significant other about changing careers in general, because so many of my audience members are thinking of changing careers. And I know that this can bring a lot of tension and stress into a relationship. Like I said at the beginning, you know, money is one of the top five reasons that couples end up fighting. And it's important that you're able to articulate why this is so necessary and and work through it with your significant other and not just put it on the back burner and just never do it because even this conversation's too difficult to have. So the very first part of this is 
talking to a significant other that is just pushing back about the stress of losing the security of teaching as a position, which ends up adding to a teacher's stress as well. What would you say to a significant other um, who's very stressed about losing job security? So here is the place that I would start. If I was coaching somebody whose significant other felt stressed about a teacher, their partner, losing the security of their job, the first thing I would say to, to the person who has that job, that teacher, is let's put your partner's feelings to the side for a moment. What do you really want? What is really important to you? How secure is your job to you? Because from your partner's perspective, security, when we talk about job security, really that translates to financial security, right? We think about it in the context of this is a certain amount of money I'm bringing in every year. I don't really know how my skills are going to transfer. That's something I know a lot of your audience deals with that, that feeling of like, how is my skill going to transfer? And so that's, that's how they're thinking of job security, right? Um, so it's financially secure. It takes a lot to be fired in many teaching jobs. Here's my question for them. How secure is it emotionally? How secure is your relationship as a result of the amount of tension in your life because of your job? And how important is that to you? I've heard a lot of teachers describe being a teacher as hanging by a thread sometimes, or I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I don't know that I would call that secure personally. And that change in thinking about it is really, really important. Now, that doesn't mean that we should ignore the idea of financial security or just throw caution to the wind. It, it all comes back to this. If you are planning on switching jobs, usually, and if you're not getting let go or fired, you will know your new income before you take that job, which means you have time to plan. But having a plan or a system in place isn't enough. This is almost entirely a mental game. What, what good is a system that you don't use? right? That, that, that becomes a leaky system. That becomes an untrusted system, which isn't much of a system at all. So we talked about core values being one part of the puzzle that at least allow you, allow you to point your compass in the right direction when you kind of head into the forest. But then the question is, once you're in the forest, if you come across a, a wild animal, and, and that's analogous to the, the type of self-talk, the type of, type of sabotaging thoughts that we have, what do you do and how do you tame it? Um, and so that is a that is a conversation that is much different than a significant other saying to you i'm I'm really stressed about losing the security you losing the security of the job in our our relationship i mean that that could really cause some financial distress and you saying yes but i will be prepared because i will understand and be able to plan and create systems around how this is going to work I'll give you a quick example when uh, my wife and I have been doing this for years, we have a weekly meeting and I call this the, the same page meeting um, to, to get on the same page with your partner, as you might imagine, based on the name. And we've had it for years and I'll, I'll go into detail about what we do in this meeting later on because I think it's pretty valuable. But the result was this. When I became a teacher, when I, when I left my, my consulting job, I was working for uh, IBM at the time. Um, I was going to take a gigantic pay cut. I was going to go from making, I forget how much, but down to $25,000 a year on an AmeriCorps budget to be a student teacher for a year. 
And I remember being really kind of like, this isn't going to work. $25,000 is, is, I mean, that's way less than I've ever made. It's just not going to work. And yet this, this was my calling. This is something I really wanted to do. And so I remember my wife saying to me, it's not about if you're going to do this, it's about how we're going to make it work. And she could say that to me because we already had those systems in place to actually figure out the plan for how it was going to work. Had we not had those systems in place, we would have gone back to this conversation of, okay, that's making me really stressed about losing the security of your job. So that's the question that we have to dive into is how do you set up those systems? So you think that potentially what people should be thinking about right now, whether or not you know matter-of-factly you are going to leave teaching for another position, you should sit down and start to have a meeting with your significant other and potentially talk to them about how you don't feel like teaching may be your forever career and you may want to start creating that system now that backup plan, so potentially even an emergency fund financially for any potential unemployment gaps that you may have, or if you need to take somewhat of a pay cut and start to articulate how teaching doesn't feel like you've been 100% yourself in your relationship. You haven't been able to give all you can give as a family member and remind them of, what you were like back when you were happy if you are listening to this and you are struggling and you are not happy. Because honestly, you know, Jonathan and I can also very much say that we did not have a great relationship the very last year I was teaching. I think that if I stayed in the classroom for another year, we would have not been um, together anymore. I was just turning down opportunities to see him so that I could sit home and flop around on the couch and cry or work. And I was just very, very unhappy and not able to be there for him in the same capacity that I am now. What about those significant others who may have a hard time understanding how stressful of an environment teaching may be to some people. So, you know, on paper, what what do you mean it's so stressful? You're working with fifth graders. They're cute. You get to send out stickers. How some, are you, you summer off? <laughs> yeah, how are you know, yeah. you get the summer off. How are you complaining so much? I'm not sure if if you'll ever find anything you like. What would you say to someone who might be having that hard time? The thing about teaching that we all know if we've taught is that it's really hard to explain to a significant other how much energy is consumed over the course of a school day. It's not their fault. They've never been there. Before we went into teaching, we all had this pie in the sky vision of it. We, we saw it in the movies and we thought, okay, that's, that's really fun. That's something I want to inspire. I want to do all this stuff. Then we get there and we realize, oh, it's so much more than we thought it was. Um, the thing is, what, what happens is, at least in, in my experience, I would come home from work and either I would be complaining, but most of the time I'd be complaining. And that would put my wife in the position to either give me advice. So give me some, help me brainstorm and solve the problem or uh, potentially just be a listener and just be em em have empathy and just listen to my situation. 
problem solving is great. But again, because of the fact that your significant other doesn't necessarily understand all the details of what you're working with, that only goes so far. And empathy is great too. I think that's a great way to, 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 to go to just say, hey, I, I'm. what kind of support do you need right now? If it's just to listen, I'll do that. But if every day you are coming back with this, like, this cycle of negativity, this cycle of pain, um, that empathy is only going to go so far too. So what's the answer? I think the answer is you change the frame. It comes back to core values. I know I, I harp on this a lot, but it really does as, as kind of the centerpiece for everything. You figure out what's important to you. You establish those core values. And then you say to your partner, here are the things that are important to me in my ideal life. Knowing, of course, nothing is ever going to be perfect. Here are the things that are going to be important to me. And you can even use the analogy of the dials that I mentioned earlier. We can see what dials are turned up, what are not turned up. And now you're coming at it from an angle of this is me in my dynamic range as a person. Like if you think of like a, a musical instrument and the fact that it can be really low and really high, like you mentioned before, like when we first met that vibrant person that you fell in love with, that now is kind of condensed and kind of constricted. I want to be that full person again. That full person had more of those dials turned up than I currently do. I want to turn those dials up again. So now it's not like that person may go to their friends and say, oh, you know, my partner comes home every day and just complains about how bad school is. And like, I don't get it. She come, she gets off work at three or he gets off at work at three. They get the summers off. Now you're coming at it from the perspective of my who I am as a person is being constricted by what I do. And this is not going to solve the problem immediately, but it changes the way that you present how, how this is affecting you. There's still more discussion needed, but it's a start. And if you present it like this, then and the person still wants to minimize your pain or disregard it after you've given it some effort into the conversation, then I wonder how long that relationship is sustainable. <laughs> because I think part of a, a healthy relationship is taking your partner's problems seriously, um, even when you don't fully understand what they're going through. I think that one thing that I've learned through working with therapists and reading a lot of, you know, self-help books is always having empathy, even for your partner in this situation that you haven't articulated and not to put any blame on one party versus the other, but making sure that you're articulating what you need from them and what you're expecting from them when you come home and you say, I really dislike my teaching job. And then articulating like, I need empathy and support from you because I am very much struggling because they may not know that extra bit of context. I know it seems so obvious, but saying I need you to be here and to understand how much I'm struggling. And I also am looking to you for maybe solutions to this situation because I don't know how much longer I can do that. So there's a difference between saying, I hate my job every single afternoon and saying, I really do hate my job and I'm looking for you as my rock, as my person to walk me through how I'm gonna navigate this storm. And if your partner pushes back against that, then that's a further conversation of what is it about me leaving this position that 
is making you so hesitant to have this conversation with me. And that could be diving into their history, you know, asking them what does having enough money mean to them? Or what does security mean to them? What did what did their parents' work-life balance look like when they were children? What did financial security mean to them growing up? Because all of that's very different and it really impacts how everybody behaves. Exactly. And it's 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 what you were saying. It's it's either we can we can problem solve and that's maybe something that I ask of you, or I just want you to listen to me, or I need to make a gigantic change in my life because I'm constricted as a person because my my core is I'm, I'm not able to express myself in the way that I need to in order to be the most vibrant best version of myself possible. I mean that is a deeper problem than I had a really bad day at school today the, the kids were acting out my principal's mad at me whatever. Um those are really and, and not to minimize those problems because that that really is painful too. But when you when you come to the conclusion that there are certain needs certain values of mine that I am not honoring that I need to start honoring that is a much wider conversation. And I think you have to have the clarity yourself before your partner's going to buy into it. So for me, there was a very clear difference when I said, hey, babe, you know, to Jonathan, hey, I'm having a really rough time at this school and I, I don't know what's going on. And then the day that I just snapped and said, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like there was a very clear difference. And if you haven't ever had that clear, I can't do this anymore moment that you articulated with your loved one, they may think that just saying, oh, you know, it's not so bad is being helpful. And they don't understand that it's making you more confused. So just making sure that you are very clear of, I really don't think that I can do that anymore. And if you if you aren't sure, that you want a change, then that's a conversation to have as well is just letting them know where you are mentally and what you're weighing the pros and cons of and asking them, honestly, I know that this is scary because it's scary to me too. What are your thoughts of the pros and cons? And I want your input, but I think I'm leaning one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and that, oh, go and ahead. That sort of yeah, that sort of clarity I really recommend, I mean, I, I'm a coach, so I recommend coaching to everybody. I have my own coach. That's how much I believe in the power of it. Um, therapy is also really useful. I can't speak too much to therapy, not being a therapist myself. Um, I, I have one, but I'm, I don't know much about you know therapy as it pertains to just psych psychology and all that. But I can say that if you don't have clarity, then then seeking out coaching and or therapy, there, there are differences between the two. Um, coaching is very goal oriented um, and therapy can be kind of healing from trauma, emotional trauma. Um, they have very much have overlap for sure, but that's kind of a, a very a rough distinction between the two. Um, that can really be useful. And you might think to yourself, oh, I can kind of think about it in my head. I can maybe write it out or something like that. And maybe you can. I'm not going to say that that won't work. But most of my clients really are surprised by the power of talking to someone who will challenge their thinking and kind of break open and, and analyze and really dive into what the words they're saying mean and the emotions behind them. Coming to that conversation, having done that work already, wow, you really have set yourself up for a much more successful conversation and you avoid many pitfalls. I can 100% agree with just having someone's unique perspective, opening up why you may be so stubborn in some areas or your significant other might be so stubborn in some areas 
is so eye-opening. If you can, if you're struggling with this, if you could do couples therapy, that would be a great way. But if you're just struggling with yourself, I mean, even small things about finances that may be impacting how you are making this decision or how you're even talking about this decision. Because for me personally, I have a, a very extreme like scarcity mindset where I am going to work myself to the bone to make sure that I can provide for myself, for my family, and I don't have to ask anything of anyone. And that comes from, you know, a lot of trauma when I was a child. I moved out when I was 17 years old. I put myself through college um, and had to work multiple jobs just to pay my own bills. And I always knew like I did not have that family support system to to hang back on financially. And so even as an adult, a successful adult that can see it in a bank, how much money is there, I keep thinking, you know, what can I do to cut costs to make sure that I never have nothing and, and no one to depend on? And that can relay over to my significant other. You know, that that type of mindset can stress someone out. And you may not understand that about what your significant other is going through if you're not having these types of deeper conversations about like why something is so stressful to them if it's all so stressful to you. Yeah, exactly. The, and those things, what I like to describe as, as self-sabotage or sabotaging thoughts, they have a really good purpose. I mean, you developed that, that what you call the scarcity mindset. You developed that to maintain your money, to make sure that you were afloat, to make sure that you still had enough money to buy food and take care of your basic needs. That's really important, right? We don't want to minim minimize that. Um, but then those thought patterns start to wire and fire together and can lead to some self-sabotage later down the line when now you are healthily afloat, but you're still clutching on to as much as you can and you're less willing to take some risks that might move you toward your goal because we know taking risks is how you move toward goals and actually doing things you're not sure of how they're gonna turn out. Um, that can sabotage you from ever taking action uh, if that's how your brain is wired and fired. So there's always a, a light side and a dark side to these to these internal mindsets. Do you feel like off the top of your head, you have any correlation of how you feel about career security and financial security that ties back to how you were raised? I think for me, I, I, my, both of my parents had the same job growing up. My mom actually works in an elementary school or she just retired. So she worked for about 30, 35 years in, in an elementary school. Um, not the one that I went to, but one nearby. And my dad also just retired and worked uh, in the same company for as an engineer for, um, you know, 30, 40 years. So when when I started working, of course, I, I did things completely differently. I switched my career very often, um, whereas they were staying, they were like, staying in their very steady jobs and, and continuing to do what they were doing. So it's interesting because you would think based on my my upbringing that I would try and st stick to a like be with one company and just keep doing it for as long as I could. But I think that I started to see and this is maybe generational. I started to see that the way that the world works and the way that the Internet connects us allows us to make connections and find new industries and new ways of working that maybe weren't possible for my parents to do when they were working. Yeah, that's really interesting perspective just to be able to like constantly see 
careers evolving as an opportunity. And I think some generations a little bit older than us just had those set possibilities. So that that's something I haven't thought about. I think having conversations, even just that simple question of me asking you like about your family's job history, those are the types of conversations like you need to be having at dinner time. Those are the types of conversations that deep understanding of all the ins and outs of your significant others, you know, relationship with their own parents, how their parents communicated to one another through stressful situations. All of those conversations just need to happen on a regular basis and you'll have a better understanding of where you both are, a better empathy for one another, and just more open communication. I I do want to talk a little bit more about having those tricky conversations like asking for a significant other to have to take over more financial responsibilities. Have you ever had anyone that you had to coach through any of those types of conversations? Um, What would be your advice for someone having that conversation about, you know, asking your significant other to actually put more into, you know, the financial bank that you have? Yeah, this is really important because many of the people that are listening that are in relationships, I imagine many of you are married, but then there are probably many of you who are not married Um, And then there's going to be some variation in terms of how your money is managed. Some of you, I imagine, have a shared bank account. Some of you, I imagine, have separate bank accounts. Some of you have separate bank accounts, and perhaps you have no rules with your partner about how that money is spent. Um, And and so for you to then say, okay, we need to talk about how much money you're going to contribute to my to our emergency fund is a, a, a wider step than it is if you're already having these conversations about how you're spending your money. So here's what I would suggest. Um, that conversation about there's an emergency fund, we need to, any potential unemployment gaps that we might occur, we might incur together, we need to start putting money in then and I need you to contribute. That conversation could go really well in some relationships and also could go off the rails in other relationships. The reason why I think it will go off the rails in most cases is because there were no rails to begin with. In other words, there was no consistent conversation about money happening to begin with. So to jump into a conversation about funding potential um, unemployment gaps and contributing to an emergency fund, well, that's like, you know, kind of out of this world. So here's my recommendation. Before you even get to that point, if you're just in the process of thinking about it, meet with your partner weekly. And there's a, a weekly meeting template that I'm gonna drop the uh, the address to that later on in the podcast. Um, so you can use my weeding, my my actual meeting template that I use with my partner and have used for years. I've refined it over the years. It's, it started off very simple and it's gotten a lot more uh, intense since then, but it's a great one. Um, and part of that template is actually talking about your finances, actually talking about what big expenses do you have coming up? Um, how much do we want to save if we are if we are saving as a couple? Um, maybe you aren't doing a, a savings together. Maybe it's like, how much do I want to save? And, and you hold me accountable to that. How much are you going to save this month? And I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Start with those small conversations so that you start getting comfortable talking about money. So by the time you get to the point where you're talking about an emergency fund and potential unemployment gaps, 
getting to that conversation, you've already got the rails and you can actually have that conversation much more functionally. And this works regardless of whether you're sharing a bank account or whether you aren't. It probably makes it easier if you're sharing a bank account, if there's one kind of pool of money, um, but it certainly can be done if you have multiple bank accounts. Um, the kinds of things that you discuss every week, and it's really important, I think, to set a, a day for this, my wife and I have Friday nights usually as our night to talk about this um, because Saturdays can be busy and Sundays we're like thinking about the week. So Friday, we actually sit down and have this conversation um, and we talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but finances are always a part of it and have been since before we even shared a bank account. I will definitely make you email me your same page meeting template and Jonathan and I will start it uh, as soon as humanly possible because I'm really excited to see it. One strategy that I have read up a little bit about because, you know, as we're recording this, getting into marriage, talking all about um, financial strategies for married couples is having separate bank accounts for your own personal needs just for your own, you know, I like to have some, I, I don't know if financial autonomy is the right way to say it, but I'm sure Jonathan doesn't want me constantly looking and knowing what guitars he's buying either. And, um, we have, we have a lot in common, Jonathan. And I. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys have talked about it a little bit when we, <laughs> when we've met, uh, online, but with, with our finances, one strategy that I've seen is just 70% of your income going into a joint account, a family budget, and then 30% of it remains yours for personal needs. And so if I'm the breadwinner or if my significant other's the breadwinner for five years, it doesn't matter who's making more, 70% of whatever you're making goes into this account. And that account is for bills, for food for mortgage payments or all of those types of things and to create that emergency savings fund. And then if there's a gap in employment or if there's a dip, you have that set there and it doesn't matter who is the one who, you know, has that gap in employment or has that dip because that is your joint central location for all of the funds, but you still get to see funds in your own bank account come paycheck after paycheck after paycheck. And I could see that being something that motivates us and and helps keep things a little bit separate as well. Do you and your wife have separate bank accounts in the same capacity? So uh, that is a really interesting system. And I don't think that I have, um, I, I've never heard that, but I think it's, a, it's a, certainly an idea that could work for some couples. Um, the way that I thought about it um, is that we, 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 have our, we have a shared bank account and what we have done for many, what we did do for many years before before we figured out a system for it, is we would just look at our, you know, our monthly budget or our monthly ex expenses through Mint or through whatever our bank or whatever it is. And then what would result in that conversation was uh, a bunch of accusations, <laughs> a bunch of blame. Um, that, you know, oh, you're spending too much on Amazon. You're spending too much on food. You spend too much on shoes. Like, look at all these, you know, if you just didn't spend this this sort of thing, then we'd have this much more money. And every time you're at Guitar Center, it's like highlighter <laughs> out. I'm coming for you. 
Yeah, well, Daphne knows I have like nine guitars that I bought in my early 20s. That was before I was committed to uh, uh, being financially cooperative with my partner. Um, but and, and, you know, honestly, I was young. <laughs> um, but but what I realized is that there's no app that does what I want to do, which is that I want to make sure that all my reoccurring that, that I'm looking at every single dollar that's coming in every single month um, and 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 then saying, what are my recurring monthly monthly expenses? in a spreadsheet, whatever it might be. And then the remainder of that becomes the money that we're going to be spending on a regular bit, just on a day to day basis. So what I made on my phone, there's an app called shortcuts where you can kind of design your own app. And that's on every iPhone. I don't know about Android, unfortunately, but iPhone has this. And it's an app where you every time you make a purchase, you put it into the app like you would any other budgeting app, but it reduces that number, that number of like extra dollars that are in your that, you know, you haven't allocated for a particular expense that month. So if I buy a Starbucks or if I um, go and buy some piece of audio equipment or whatever it is I'm doing, I put it into this tracker. And not only does it change the reduce the number, but it actually quietly writes to a spreadsheet in the background with that per, that expense. So we can check and see what the flow of expenses have been. And then if that number gets below a certain amount, it starts to text each one of us because this is something you can build into the Shortcuts app. And what what I've started to realize is that at the end of the month, if there is leftover money, you know, and this is, of course, after all of like savings and investments and all these things that we are planning for have already been accounted for. If there is extra money that can go toward, say, some expense like I need a new Mac, for instance, uh, I, 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 the current Mac that I use is on its last legs and I'm going to need a new one. So I take that extra money and I put it into a little account where I can say, okay, once I reach a th the, the threshold of however much this Mac costs, I can buy it guilt free, guilt free, because I have budgeted for every other thing. I budgeted for my, my, the savings that we said we were going to budget for all of our shared financial goals and that, and, but, but then, but you know, that then again, that is something that we as a couple agreed upon that this would be our system. It's not just like I just went and did this rogue, right? So you have to have an understanding. And that's my system is just one that we found works brilliantly for us. I mean, absolutely brilliantly. We're always on the same page. And if we ever have a big expense, we know we can afford it. Um, but that idea of 3070 may work perfectly for a different couple in a different situation. Did it take a lot of trial and error to figure out what worked for weekly meetings? your same page meetings, and then also for your budgeting? The budgeting, once I figured that out, um, it was kind of like instantly relief because before that we were just looking at old bills and being like, oh, we overspent, oh, we ate, we ate, I ate out too much, et cetera. Um, with the, the meeting, that really was was something that we refined. And that is why I offer this, this free PDF of the meeting template because it's years and years of trial and error of trying to get this meeting to work in a way that uh, is effective. And, and when I say effective, like, listen to this. I mean, this is amazing to think about. Everybody, ha I think, in their relationship, if you've had a relationship for a while, has had a blowout fight, like a full out, you know, screaming fight to where you get really, really angry. And there's this bubbling up in this tension that gets released in this huge fight. Ever since we have refined this meeting, we've made it, uh, you know, at a certain point, it got refined to, to a particular degree. We haven't had blowout fights. Like, yes, we still have disagreements. Yes, we still have things that we need to talk about and we need to like hash out. 
Um, but we don't have any, unless there are times where we are prevented from having our meeting. Like if we are somehow are in a position where we just are in a special situation, like we're, uh, you know, traveling or whatever it might be, and we just haven't had time for our meeting, um, then that's when those fights start to happen. But because we nip everything in the bud in these meetings, part of the template is actually no item is too small to talk about. Things that are so, so small that could result eventually in a bubbling up and could cause a huge issue. We address even those tiny, tiny, tiny things so that we can we can actually have a plan for them before they become big things. And it's not always perfect. I don't mean to give the impression that, you know, ever since I started doing this meeting, my life and my relationship and marriage is perfectly harmonious. Uh, like anybody's relationship, that's not always the case. But dramatic decrease, almost like I would say a 99% decrease in um, in the amount of actual aggressive like blowout fights. To summarize kind of everything that I think we've talked about for this entire podcast is I I feel like everyone's takeaway should be that relationships take a lot of work. And if you are listening to this entire thing, you're probably going through a really stressful time. And so your relationship might be in a stressful situation together but being proactive, communicating and articulating what your needs are in this situation and staying organized and on top of it is going to help you push past it with that person that you love to be able to talk about how you're going to get through this together because that's you know why you chose that person to begin with and why they chose you to begin with and making sure that everybody keeps a cool head and continues to articulate what their needs are, but think of the other person and and ask a lot of questions about why they feel so strongly one way or the other. But uh, ignoring it and avoiding the situation is only going to make things worse on everybody mentally for the long run. Do you think I summarized that okay? Yeah, I would add to it by saying that a good way to have those conversations, you know, to talk about, you mentioned like talking about childhood and that sort of thing. Um, even better is to get to the, the emotion straight. If you ask your partner, and I've had clients that their, their homework from me was to go do this with their partner, what scares you about topic X? What scares you about me leaving this position? What scares you about having a child? What scares you about combining our bank accounts? Those types of conversations, that leads to a non-accusatory conversation about where this deep fear is rooted in the other person. And then those stories about childhood will come up. It's a lot different than saying, well, tell me about your childhood and you know, what was your financial upbringing like? I mean, that doesn't, that, that definitely helps and that definitely will tell part of the story. But what scares you about it? I mean, that brings it right to the heart. And I will say this, if I had to sum up my whole position on this in a phrase, uh, re I recently had to write this uh, for someone whose whose mom said, you know, we're we're putting together a, a wedding advice thing for uh, for this this friend of mine. Can you give some uh, advice? So my advice was, don't make promises, build systems. And if you think back to our entire conversation, everything that we've talked about is a system. This is, of course, my you know one of my core values and how I think about things. But I do think it's actually the most effective way. Uh, honoring core values—that's a system. Uh, talking about your finances every week, having the same page weekly meeting—that is a system. 
uh, asking someone what scares you, starting with an I feel statement or I feel stressed by, being curious instead of defensive. These are all systems. They're not promises that you're making. These are ways of saying we as a couple are going to look at this as a partnership and a collaboration. And we want to make this succeed so that, for instance, when uh, last night was was trash night, I had to take out the trash. Um, I had a really busy work day and we had a date night uh, because my mother-in-law is in town and so we were going out. So I, I took out some of the trash, but not all of the trash. And um, that is when, when, when my wife and I talked about it, it wasn't accusatory like you didn't take out the trash. It was there's a leak in our system. That thing that we set up to make this trash thing happen didn't work. Where's the leak, right? It's not Zia's problem and it's not my wife's problem. It's our system that we need to fix the leak in. And maybe it means that, hey, you know, we were going out for this date night, but no matter what happens before that happens, before eight o'clock, that trash has to be taken out, even if it means we eat at 10, 10 p.m. because how long it takes or whatever it might be. That would be how I'd sum it up. I could not say it any better than myself. I know that there are so many listeners right now that probably have so many other conversations or struggles that they're having with their significant other. Maybe it's potentially talking about parenting, parenting strategies, even more types of templates or resources that you have, like your same page meeting. Where can they find you and learn more? All right. So... That meeting template, you can find that by going to ziahassan.coach slash same page. When you go there, there is a, a free PDF of that is comprehensive. It's the thing that I've refined over the last decade or more um, to, to make a meeting that's really effective. And this meeting, you will talk about your finances. If you have children, there's a section where you'll actually talk about responsibilities um, because that can be really tricky if you're doing it, planning it in the moment. Um, you talk about emotions. You talk about what's going well and what isn't going well. And there's specific language that you use. It's kind of weird to stick to a template when you're talking to your partner. I know it sounds weird to like use these, these words and these terms, but it makes such a difference because now you're speaking in the same language language and you're coming at it from a perspective of we as a couple have shared values and shared goals and here's how we're going to achieve them and if if we don't do it perfectly then it's about our relationship and about changing how we operate rather than blaming each other for it. So if you go there, you just put in your email address and you'll get emails from me about things like the the finances, how I do that, um, even ideas that Daphne has suggested, like the 70-30 thing. Maybe, maybe you can be a guest uh, author on the email list to talk about that because it sounds like a great idea. Um, and if you are trying to figure out trying to get clarity around what your core values are, I do what one of the things I do with every single client I work with, we start with this, is we talk about core values. It's a very scientifically, uh, almost like a procedural thing that I walk someone through. And you end up with a list of things that are really important to you. And sometimes that list will be really obvious to you. Like you'll look at the list and you'll say, oh, that totally makes sense. That's me. Um, sometimes things will really surprise you. And I can give you an example of that if, if it's okay with you. Of course. Um, I recently was working with somebody who said, you know, before we talked, I listened to your episode on Teacher Career Podcast. And um, I made a list of my core values. Now, this is before I go through my coaching with them, right? And one of the things they had written down was the word autonomy. And when we actually started to do my process, that word turned into power. 
And I asked this person, what is the difference between power and autonomy? And they said, well, I guess autonomy is something that you're given and power is something that you take. And I don't know if that's like the official definition, but that was such a switch for this person in such a way that it changed decisions that they make and led to a more fulfilling life for that person. I think I think they would agree with that. Um, so that's something that I do. I also, the second time I meet with someone, I usually do the self-talk and the, the uh, sabotaging thinking. Um, and we learn how it feels when those sabotaging thoughts come up and how to tame those thoughts with, with structures that we develop together. Uh, extremely powerful stuff. It, even just those two things alone are really powerful. So when you go on the site, you can get that free PDF, um, but you'll also see a link to book a free call with me. I can walk you through ex exactly what you're, what you can tell me what your goals are, what you're looking to do, how you're looking to understand yourself um, better. And then we can come up with a plan to, to coach you into a life that you um, is, is fulfilling and is fully enhanced and fully dynamic. Sia, so, yeah, thank you so much for being here. I learned so much. I feel like I got so much out of it and I'm excited to start using some of these in my new marriage as Daphne Gomez. So <laughs> thank, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Anyone looking for those resources, we will have them linked in today's show notes. And just really appreciate you, Zia, for coming on and just giving us so much information. My pleasure as always. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you to Zia for returning on the podcast. If you want to check out his past episode, it's episode 22, where we talk all about choosing a career focused on your core values. I also highly recommend the book Eight Dates by John Gottman, which I'm going to have linked at teachercareercoach.com forward slash eight dates, the word eight, not the number, just for you if you wanted to purchase it, an easy way for you to use our affiliate link and help out the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. Mm -hmm.